Hey, Valley Creek, what a joy. What a joy to be with you. I am so thrilled. Every time I have the privilege of coming here, it's with a sense of excitement. And uh, just to hear what God is doing here is so amazing. This ministry is exploding. Uh, and uh, we're so grateful. Uh, the last five years, I've had the privilege of coming on regular intervals and seeing this church just grow from strength to strength. And so here's the challenge. If you will stay humble and holy and healthy spiritually, God has an incredible future for this church. And um, what a privilege uh, for me to share the word with you. I want to talk to you about your own journey in God, your maturing journey in God. Many of you have heard people would reference many times that that person is really spiritual, or that's a really spiritually mature person. Or you might even have this notion of, I want to grow spiritually. The question is, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean when we talk about this growth, this development, this, this journey in God? Uh, when we read the New Testament specifically puts such a demand on our lives to grow. Uh, just reading Ephesians 4, where it says, God has given gifts to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. Just reading that portion of scripture there in Ephesians 4, it says, equipping the saints, building up the body till we all attain mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we are no longer children, but that we grow up in every... Just listen to all those growing, developing, maturing concepts within Scripture. The question is, how do we gauge? How do we know that we are growing spiritually, that we are on this journey with every step that we take and, and every next step that we take, how do we know, do we have something that we can measure it against so that we could at least know that we're journeying in Christ? Well, John tries to help us when he writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, and we're going to read that together. Listen to what John says. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. 
I write to you, children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So John writes and he cites three levels of development. He calls them children, young men, and fathers. Now, we know he's not writing to natural children, young men, and fathers, but he's speaking about spiritual children, young men, and fathers because he gives definition to why he's calling them children, young men, and fathers. Now, for all the ladies that are listening to this, uh, when you think about your own growth and development, these are the three stages, and the Bible is not always so gender-sensitive. So the Bible speaks about a young man not as being male or female. He's talking about a certain stage, a certain development. Hey, if I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a young man today, all right? <laughs> all right. So let's quickly look at these three dimensions that John addresses. He starts off by saying, I'm writing to you children. And then he gives the definition to why he calls them children. He says, I'm writing to you children because your sins are forgiven you. You see, that's how we become spiritual children. We become spiritual children when we enter into the kingdom of God in the knowledge that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross for our sins, and now we accept that forgiveness. We accept that incredible moment of redemption as reality in our lives, and we enter into the kingdom knowing that our sins are forgiven. How many of you are grateful that your sins are forgiven? Would you raise your hand? Our sins are forgiven. It's a phenomenal moment in any human being's life when you discover that the guilt and the shame, this weight that was upon your life has been effectively dealt with and your sins are forgiven. Fact is, that's the entry point. You see, Knowing that your sins are forgiven is not the final reference of your Christian journey. It's the first step in the journey. And now you are in a trajectory that wants to bring you to the full stature of Christ. Where you can grow, where you can develop, where you can be Become what God has intended for you to be. And that's so much more than just knowing that your sins are forgiven. 
You see, when a, when a child comes into a family, everything changes. Those of you that have families will know, I mean, when that baby is born, everything changes. The whole home changes. The, the, the whole rhythm of life changes. The time it takes you to go anywhere changes. The fact is the decibel levels in the home change. The size of the car changes. Everything changes. Why? Because we now have another kid in the family. And that child is very dependent. That child needs adult engagement. I mean, if that child says, Wah. what happens? Mom and dad look at each other, who's going to run? Why? Because that's the way it works. A child needs adult attention. Folks, we have to understand in the kingdom of God, it is the same. The moment somebody comes into the kingdom, they discover their sins are forgiven, and they become part of the family of God, we have to understand they are babies in Christ, and they need lots of attention. We must never assume that by some supernatural osmosis, people who have just discovered that their sins are forgiven are now people that are mature in Christ. And that they understand exactly how everything is supposed to be understood. They need adult supervision. It's um, interesting that... You know, when you have a child and the child kind of crawls around on the carpet, you've got to keep an eye on that child. Why? Because anything that child picks up on the carpet, what happens? It goes to the mouth. They don't put anything in their mouth. They have no idea what's good for them, what's not good for them. They'll just take anything, put anything in their mouth. That's exactly the same spiritually. We've seen that over and over again, how people come into the faith, and then they just take hold of anything. But you see, that's where adult supervision comes in. We have to be there to say, don't put that in your mouth. That's not good for you. No, focus on this. So we can help people to grow. You know, when my kids were very small, I recall if ever we asked them for one week to kind of uh, define our, our menu, our eating diet for that week, I promise you, there would be very little vegetables. <laughs> Why? Because vegetables and children are incompatible. <laughs> They just don't work together. Why? That's why they need adults, so that an adult can sit at the table and say, eat your vegetables. And then the kid says, why? And you say, because. <laughs> you might not know why, but you know it's good for you. You see, we have to understand that we are a spiritual family and people are at different stages in the journey and we need to journey with people so that they can become what God has intended for them to be. They have to grow, and this is the, the fascinating thing that, that John gives us here. He says, 
There are children, but then there's another stage, a next stage in this journey, and he calls it young men. And he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides within you. And you have overcome the wicked one, the evil one. Listen to what he's saying. He says, Something has happened to you. You've now grown to a point where the word of God has now captured your life. It is now defining your life. It is now affecting you in such a way that your choices and decisions and the way you engage life is affected by the word of God within your life. And you have become strong. There's a sense of authority. There's a sense of of positioning yourself on the principles and the promises and the convictions of the word of God, and Christ is now formed within you in such a way that it becomes tangible, and you're now starting to overcome. You see, you now have victories that you can celebrate. You now have stories that you can start to share, that I have this moment of victory, and, and God gave me grace here, and, and I had this word there, and I, and I sensed I could stand against temptation here, and, I, and, I, and I'm starting to have more victories than failures. I'm growing in Christ. I'm becoming what he's intended me to be. I become a young man in the Spirit. This young man in the spirit is this discovery of who we actually are in Christ. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in his book, God's Way of Reconciliation. He says, oh, that God would enlighten the eyes of our understanding by his spirit, that we may know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, that we may realize all that is true of us. We have friends in South Africa where we hail from that recently went to uh, a mountain range. We have a mountain range in the middle of our country, beautiful. It's called the Dragon Mountains, these incredible mountains. And they were really excited to go to the mountains, uh, had a weekend away, never been there before. And as they're driving to the mountains, they tell us, They said, a thick mist came over that whole region. And as they were driving, they were disappointed because they couldn't see the mountains. But they checked into this little hotel, went to bed, and the next morning, the guy says he woke up and he, he drew the curtains of his room in the hotel. And as he drew the curtains, the mist had lifted. And suddenly he was confronted with this majestic mountain, this incredible sight. And he says he was in awe, he was looking at the mountain, and and while he was looking at the mountain, the thought came to mind, this mountain did not arrive here during the night. This mountain has been here forever. He 
said, but we couldn't see the mountain. Not because the mountain was not there, but because of the mist. And when he shared this with me, I suddenly realized this is the challenge for so many children of God. We don't recognize what is already there. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's, he's made his residence within us. He is now defining our lives. But many times we do not see what is the reality because there's too much Mist. There's too much noise. There's too much stuff. And we need to pray, Lord, help us that the mist would lift so that we can make this discovery of who we truly are, that we can discover how we are included in Christ. You see, for you to truly become a young man in the spirit, Spirit, you have to discover three primary things. You have to discover that you died with Christ. We have to understand that when Jesus Christ died, the Bible says we died with him. What does it mean that we died with Christ? It means that our old inferior life, our old identity in Adam, this old reference that was subjected to the power and the dominion of darkness and sin, because you have to remember, because of Adam's sin, darkness, sin had legal right over us as human beings. It controlled us. It dominated us. It influenced us. But something happened at the cross. The power of sin over our lives was officially broken. This is what Romans chapter 8 verse 2 teaches us. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. You've got to understand, when the Bible speaks about a law, it's speaking about an authority, about a governance. Uh, if you get onto one of these beautiful uh, freeways you have here in Texas, and um, you're driving around, you will see every once in a while there is this board with a number on it. Now, that number, for those of you that don't know, means that is the speed limit, okay? Now, for some people, that's the biggest revelation you're going to have all day. That's the speed limit. Now, you, you, what that means is you're not supposed to exceed that number. But you might have a vehicle that is, has much more capacity and... And, and you feel, well, you're not going to be intimidated by this board, and you're going to, you know, push on, and it won't be long, or you will be greeted festively with many lights, and <laughs> you will be pulled over, and they will, somebody will come to you and, 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 and say, you have broken the law, and they will give you a fine. 
And you can take that fine and say, I'm not gonna allow this to intimidate me, and you can crumple it up and throw it away and not pay that fine. Well, if you do not pay the fine, it will not be long or you will receive a letter. It's an invitation to an event. <laughs> now, you might say to yourself, I don't go to those kind of events. I don't even like the people that are there. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to go. And, and, and if you don't go to that event, well, it will not be long. Or they're going to send somebody to come and visit you. <laughs> they're coming to fetch you, man. Why? Because you broke the law. Now, listen to this. Every law is established by a government. It's an extension of an authority, of a government. Now, if we read Romans 8 verse 2 with that in mind, it says, for the law of the Spirit, the government of the Spirit, the authority of the Spirit of this new life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law, the government, the authority of sin and death. Wow. Wow. Now, why is this so important? You see, because we want to overcome the wicked one. We want to live in that, but you have to know what is already done. What has been established on your behalf. Not only do we celebrate that we died with Christ, the Bible says if we died with Christ, then we are also raised with Christ, into newness of life, into resurrection life, into this new definition of life. We, we now live out the Christ life. You see, our identity is now established no longer in our negative reference of Adam. Our identity is now established in who we are in Christ. In, um, in South Africa, we have lions. And uh, I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of, of coming close to a lion and looking at a lion in its eyes without a fence between you. It's a very intimidating moment. And recently that happened to us. We were... Um, with a bunch of uh, uh, pastors of the city, we decided to go and do a safari together. And they have these uh, safari parks that's really a big portion of land where the animals roam freely. And then you get into the safari vehicle. It's kind of a Land Rover vehicle. And you drive up and hopefully you will find the animals. And, and sometimes you're, you're fortunate to see them. And, and we were. We, we came across a whole pack of lions. Now, lions are very lazy. They just lay out there. Uh, and so we parked a little distance from them. But one of the dominant male lions decided he's intrigued about this thing that has just arrived. And um, he wants to check it out. So he's coming closer to the vehicle. Now, many of those safari vehicles, if you've been on them, you will know, do not have doors on the side. And I'm sitting right on the edge. Now, this lion is 
coming to the vehicle. And the guy behind me, bless his heart, one of our good pastors in the city, he's taking photos of the lion, and he's got this fancy camera that's making this clicking sound. And the lion is now really intrigued about what, what is happening here. And as the lion comes, I realize something is going to happen here. Either I'm going to die or I'm going to kill somebody. But as that lion comes close, I look into its eyes. And I tell you what, the blood drains from my body. There's something of an authority, something of a, a sense of unintimidation. This lion comes to check out this, this whole vehicle. But you know, you take that lion to a circus, it's as if something has happened to that animal. Because you see, in the circus, there's a man with a whip, and the whip is cracking, and now the lion is anxious. When it comes into the arena, it's running around, and, and then it starts to do tricks, and the people applaud because we've adjusted its behavior to do certain things. But you know what? The lion is only doing that because of the whip. You see, he has not internalized that behavior. I guarantee you, when that lion leaves the arena to go back to the cage, it does not sit in the cage and practice the tricks. Why? Because there's no whoop. Listen to me, folks. When we're talking about discovering who you are, growing spiritually, we're not talking about trying to adjust behavior, trying to... to, to implement some behavioral modification program. We're not talking about that. You see, if you take that lion back to its natural habitat, it becomes true lion. We, we have to discover who we truly are. Because when we discover who we are, we start living the way God wants us to live. Why is this so important? Because identity precedes activity. Got to discover who you are. Bible says we died with Christ, but we were also raised with Christ. But not only were we raised with Christ, the Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? It means you've been repositioned to a place of authority, a place of influence. This is what John is writing about. He says, the word of God now abides within you, and you are strong, and you're overcoming the wicked one. Why? Because you're now positioned in a place of authority to have influence. You see, when, when a child is small, that little baby. And that little baby says, Wah. Mom and dad run, right? But when that kid grows up and becomes 18 years old, and at 18 it says, Wah. Mom and dad no longer run. As a matter of fact, if they do run, you better run too. Because <laughs> what do they do? They run up to you and they say, Hey, what is your problem? Stop acting like a child or a baby. Grow up. Why? Because there's this expectation that you will grow and that you will mature and that you will become. Folks, it's exactly the same in the kingdom. We cannot afford just to have babies in the kingdom. They have to grow. 
But here's the thing. When you become strong and you overcome, you've just moved from dependence to independence. And now when you become independent, as much as it is something we celebrate, it's a dangerous place. Because that's when you want to isolate yourself. That's when you feel you don't need people anymore. That's when you feel you don't want to be connected to the body anymore. Why? Because now I'm smart, I'm strong, I, I can do it. And this is the very challenge that John gives us. He says, be cautious now. You have to discover the third dimension. Become a spiritual father. Because fathers, what do they do? They take responsibility for children. And what do they do? They help children to grow, to become young men so that they can become strong, so that they can have the word abiding in them, so that they can overcome the wicked one, so that they can become fathers. To do what? To help children. To do what? To grow. And so we have an ecosystem of glorious engagement where people are growing in God to a place where you recognize now it's not just about me now becoming strong. It's about me reaching out to get the next generation so that I can help them to become strong. And what happens? We become a family of spiritual mature people that are helping new people grow and become Become what God has intended them to be. The last reference in the Old Testament was where the prophet prophesies and he says, Elijah is going to come and he'll turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. And then we see 400 years goes by in Israel's history where there are no fathers. But then in Matthew 11, Jesus sees John the Baptist. And he turns to the people and he says, if you want to know this, he is the Elijah that was to come. Suddenly there was a father. Suddenly there was somebody challenging people. Not just to settle, not just to accept but to change and to become and to align themselves with the purposes of God. And then Jesus makes this massive statement, and you go, go, can go read it in your own time in Matthew 11. He says, but to what will I liken this generation? He says, it's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions. What is Jesus saying? He says, listen, here's John, he's a father. But to what will I liken this generation? He's looking at the spiritual leadership of his day. He says, it's like children entertaining children. He says, because we, we presented this program for you. We played on the flute, but you didn't dance. And then we changed the program. And then we, we, we tried to mourn, but you didn't mourn. What's the challenge? The 
challenge for us, and I know that's true of this church, is that you're not just children entertaining children, but you are serious about taking people on a journey to become what they already are in Christ. I pray that the spirit of fathering will capture this house and that we will see fathers rise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You are the father. You are the source of all fathering. And we thank you, Lord, that we could just consider your word and speak your word over every individual in this place. Every person in every campus, every person online, May you capture their hearts to mature and become who they truly are in Christ. I pray a spirit of fathering to capture this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.